Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Planet, a podcast where two queer nerds talk about media we love. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I'm Jesse Blount. Happy Halloween, everyone. It is October 3rd when you're listening to this, and we are busy putting together a... You better not bark, I have a really good joke to make. We are busy putting together a science fiction double feature about Chuck Tingle's Camp Damascus. Oh, right. Yes. That was excellent. Thank you. (laughs) I'm leaving in the part about Rufio barking. Um, So, yeah, in two weeks, you're going to hear me and Jesse talk about the book. And then you're going to hear us talk to Chuck about the book in the same episode. It's going to be fucking great. You have two weeks to read the book if you haven't yet and you want to. If you don't want to, you can still listen to us talk about it. You're going to have a great time. But yeah, so because of that, we are starting this Halloween month with this episode of We Are the Gayers about, fittingly, the Buffy episode, Halloween. (laughs) Oh yeah, very, very on theme. Yeah, and if you like what you hear, you can go subscribe to We Are the Gayers wherever you're listening to this. We are releasing it as a public podcast now, um, though you can hear a heck of a lot more of it by joining our Patreon because it's been coming out there since 2020. Oh, it's its anniversary. It started on October 31st of 2020. Oh my god, we should have done a thing, but oh well. <laughs> this this is it. I feel like this has been kind of how Evan and I have acknowledged our anniversary since the pandemic started too, where we're like, fuck, has an entire year gone by? Happy anniversary. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> uh yeah, legit. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's it. Oh wait, no. Speaking of science fiction double features. You should definitely Buy tickets to our uh, live show where we are talking about Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to dress up. We're going to have games. It is going to be super exciting and definitely an excellent Halloween event for you to do because you don't have to leave your home. Yep. This will be happening on October 19th. Details are in the show notes. (laughs) I don't remember what time. Uh, It's, uh, I think, 8.30 Eastern Time, 5.30 Pacific Time on zoom yeah link is in the show notes to get your tickets we hope to see you there it's going to be a blast that said let's get into it in every generation there are chosen queers we alone will stand against the cisheads the straights and the forces of darkness we are the gayers hello and welcome to we are the gayers a podcast where a couple of sorcerers talk about buffy the vampire slayer i am lark malachi gray and I'm Jesse Blount, and it's October, it's Halloween month. I'm just so happy Ethan is here. Anyway, can you tell us what happens? Oh my god, so many things happen. I feel like this is about to be like eight minutes long. All right. <clears throat> we start off with it is Halloween time. It's three days before Halloween, and Buffy is fighting a vampire at one of those pop-up pumpkin and decorative corn and hay selling businesses that pop up randomly i guess across the country um and unbeknownst to her another vampire is video recording this fight 
At the bronze, Courtney walks up to a very awkward angel who is waiting for Buffy. And Buffy strolls in after, right after this fight, who is uncomfortable to see Cordelia flirting with Angel and is not feeling great about all the like pumpkin goo and straw that he's been rolling around in and ends up going home. The next day, the Scoobies are roped into volunteering to take some kids trick-or-treating on Halloween costumes, mandatory. Buffy saves Xander from getting a black eye from the local closet case bully, and and he's a dick about it. Nothing new there. Buffy complains about her not date with Angel and not knowing enough about his type or really anything about him at all. So Willow, near that she is, suggests that some research on old Angelus in the Watcher's Diary that Giles keeps in his personal files might be a good idea. Buffy does a hilarious job of distracting Giles so Willow can grab the goods. Both of them look through the Watcher's Diary to find a drawing of, as we'll eventually find out in Angel the Series, uh, a drawing of the vampire Darla in in an 18th century era appropriate rich lady dress, which gives Buffy feels because of the whole having a sacred calling and not just being the queen, popular queen bee persona that she wishes she had instead. Thankfully, the local costume shop has just a thing, a Disney princess knockoff dress for Buffy and a full coverage ghost costume for Shy Willow. But Buffy gives Willow an, ab- an abridged Mean Girls, Halloween is a time to dress like a slut and no one will slut shame you talk. Also, the proprietor is none other than Ethan Rang, who we know, but dear Buffy does not. Other thing Buffy doesn't know is that uh, it was one of Spike's minions who was recording her the other night. So Spike can get a sense of her fighting, can get a sense of her fighting style. Drew strolls in during this with some key information about a vision of Ethan's magic trick to turn everyone into their costumes, which we cut to Ethan at his altar to chaos magic doing just that. At Buffy's house, Buffy is dressed up complete with terrible wig, while Willow is dressed in some of Buffy's leftover clubbing clothes and feels so uncomfortable about it. Xander arrives in his army getup, complete with a gun that he brought at Ethan's, and Willow puts her uh, full coverage ghost sheet back on. We meet back up at the school where Larry is just as a pirate, not a gay one. Well, maybe a gay one. And Oz is apparently too cool for a costume. So everyone is out at night trick-or-treating and Ethan finishes up his magic and everyone becomes their costume, which we learn when Will- when the kids Willow are with become actual small monsters and Willow dies and becomes a ghost. Because this is that kind of episode, Sander becomes his own fantasy of a super mask level-headed army grunt with a real gun and buffy becomes a clueless rich aristocrat from the 1800s both who don't recognize willow because willow is just still herself just ghostly and in her whatever sexy costume she is supposed to be this becomes a comedy of errors as willow has to wrangle her friends who are in two completely different genres and eras they end up going to buffy's house which is only a little bit under attack and xander ends up rescuing cordy who is, though dressed as a jungle cat, is still herself. At the library, Giles is still at work when Willow walks to the wall, which freaks him out, lol. At Back at Buffy's, Angel has finally showed up and gets the lowdown on why Buffy and Xander have no idea who they are, who he is, and what's going on. Angel ends up fighting some random vamp in Buffy's kitchen, and Buffy, upon seeing his game face, runs the fuck away. At the library, it's research time, but thankfully, our brainy bunch realized that everyone who is changed got their Halloween costumes from the new place, Ethan's. Dun dun dun. Buffy, running away from her house, is now just wild in the streets of Sunnydale, which Spike and his gang of little demons overhears. Dun dun dun. Unfortunately, she runs into Pirate Larry, who is not 
Unfortunately, a soft gay pirate, as you would assume, but a mean one. Willow and Giles, meanwhile, go to Ethan's because Giles knows intimately what the fuck is going on now. He sends Willow away because we're about to meet Ripper motherfucking Giles, y'all! <laughs> Outside, the gang all finds each other just in time to run from Spike and his evil gang. At Ethan's, we have a not-so-touching reunion between these two strange exes, ending up in Giles beating the fuck out of Ethan. Spike is literally about to eat Noble Boop and Buffy when Ethan lets Giles know that breaking the statue of Janice breaks the spell. And Giles does, just in time for everyone to be themselves again, and for Buffy to fight off Spike, Xander and Cordy to have a cute moment, and for Willow to get back in her body and feel a little more confident about it, while Oz has a moment of his own. At Buffy's house, she and Angel having their own moment, which, ugh. We end with Giles going back to a hastily abandoned Ethan's to find a little love note just for him. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> uh, all right. So everyone, please remember this is a fully spoiled podcast and listeners come with me now as we enter the bronze where we talk about everything that doesn't go everywhere else, anywhere else. Yep. That's <laughs> it. Um, okay. Theory. You know, when the, the, the vamp is filming Buffy and there's a moment where the camera like fuzzes out and stops working and then he kind of like shakes it and it starts working again. I have a theory that the reason that happens is that for just a moment, the camera is like, ooh, I work on mirrors. I shouldn't be able to see this vampire. And then it's like, oh, this is a fantasy. So fuck that and starts working again. <laughs> I I love this theory and I support cool. this. <laughs> Uh, my first thing is uh, love watching Buffy emasculate Xander and Willow to be like, meh, <laughs> about the whole thing. <laughs> like, ah, yes. Yes, Chef's it's kids. very good. It's very good. <laughs> uh, boys are so fragile. Yes. Put it on yeah. a pin. <laughs> <laughs> never have never have a truer words. I mean, Willow speaks so much truth in this episode, but... <laughs> yep. <sighs> um, okay. This is truly should be very tragic, but like, given that it's Buffy, it's not, you know, there's like an inordinate number of children that for some reason need high schoolers to take them trick or treating. And I was like, oh, it's because all of their parents have been eaten by vampires. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And then they go out and this happens to them. Yep. Um... I think this ended up being completely retconned later, but in this episode, it's like in the Watcher's Diary, it's like, oh, Angel was turned when he was 18. And to be like, I'm sorry, David Boreanaz is supposed to be playing an 18-year-old in this is wild. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not that different from Cordelia. That's fair. Whatever Charisma Carpenter playing a 16-year-old. Also very wild. Um, but you're right, because I, right, he is older. I thought it was so weird because they're like 18 before he was a vampire. And I was like, how did they scout out information about this like random dude? Like there would be no records of him and what he was doing at 18, given that he was not like anybody, you know? Yeah, exactly. But it makes more sense if given that you're like, oh, that's Darla, that makes way more sense than if it was just like, yeah, this is just the girl he liked when he was an 18 year old human like five years away from becoming a vampire. which i mean and i can talk about this later but i'm also kind of like 
maybe it's also a thing where because we don't find that we don't find that out until Angel, so it's also a possibility they saw this and were like, "Oh, we're gonna make this fit. Yeah, <laughs> we're yeah, gonna yeah. make this like weird continuity error work for us." Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So this is gonna be my last thing here. Is the it's like pure slapstick the moment where Willow walks through the wall and scares the living hell out of Giles, who like throws a bunch of shit everywhere and it is so funny every fucking time it's anthony stewart head delivers <laughs> that moment it is so good i honestly forgot how funny this episode is because it is so funny. so fun i'm definitely putting a gif of that in the show notes because i love watching it um i just okay i cannot there are so many good lines in this episode but i cannot let us go by without mentioning Cordelia being like, when it comes to dating, I'm the slayer. <laughs> oh my God. I swear to God, like two thirds of the things that Cordelia says in this episode, I wrote down under like her section that I have in the cemetery because I'm just like, you are the best. She's so funny. Oh God, I love her so much. I know. I kept thinking about what if there was someone in one of the stalls in the bathroom. <laughs> like, like, can you imagine, like, sitting there and you're, there's just like, you know, Cordelia, Angel's a vampire, and Cordelia's like, when it comes to dating, I'm the slayer. And you're just like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> this is how Buffy gets the school protector award, is that it's just such an open secret to have to, like, any of the high school students are like sort of paying attention and putting two to two together who are like uh yeah something is fucked up about sunnydale and it has to do with vampire right exactly <laughs> um i just want to say that this episode i have found my new email signature or like sign off which is thy fateful degenerate son <laughs> <laughs> I'll be ending all emails from now. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent call. Yes. And then my last thing is, and this is going to be surprising. Xander is like shockingly cute with these kids. Like when he's like, "This is how you get more candy." I'm like, that is both solid advice, very fucking adorable, and like kind of like a nice out of not like out of character maybe out of character but like he's such an asshole for a lot of this episode that it's this is just a really nice moment of like xander being a good person (laughs) yeah no 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 i i noted that too i was like oh he would be a great camp counselor and i actually don't think that it is out of character i like i honestly think if he had gone into being like a I don't know lunch supervisor for instance or something like that uh that would have been the job that he didn't lose in season four because he's yeah he's got just like a great way with yeah with kids who are kind of like on the same like emotional intelligence wavelength as yeah I think I think if it wasn't for his uh own misguided ideas about masculinity I think he actually would have probably could have made bank being a nanny yeah, I think he would be great at anything where it didn't involve maintaining order, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think he would really excel at that. Welcome to the cemetery where we talk about character development. I would like to start with Cordelia. All right. I, okay. The thing is, 
I don't know how we are supposed to take this interaction between her and Angel at the bronze. Like, are we supposed to assume that he's like faking being polite because she's talking to him? Because that really doesn't seem like in Angel's sort of like skill set. And so I want to read it as him being like genuinely entertained by talking to her because I think that she's really funny. And I think that it makes sense that Angel would be like, not, not like, ooh, she's so charming and I'm so like intrigued by her, but just like, oh yeah, you're like funny and fun to talk to. And that makes me happy to think about. I, I definitely, I definitely like this theory. Cause I think, I feel like this tracks, especially cause of like one of Angel the series more strong points is sort of the chemistry between Angel and Cordelia, which mm-hmm. starts off just being like we're buds and it like works really well because Cordelia is just totally fine, like steamrolling over all of Angel's awkwardness in mm-hmm. a way that like isn't awkward. She's just like, whatever, dude, and just like keeps doing what she's doing, and it's great, which is part of the reason why we love Cordelia. And like honestly, I think is maybe a better foil for Angel's personality than sort of the sort of like awkward dance that him and Buffy are doing. Yeah, it's too too many like brooding, overthinking cooks in the kitchen with him and Buffy. Like you're never gonna you're never gonna make anything with those ingredients. It's like yeah. trying to make a cake with only flour. You need something else. Yeah. I I think it's actually funny that you bring this up because I was uh I was online doing some like what is going on behind the scenes, extra stuff that I like to look up for these episodes. And apparently um, Angel isn't supposed to be laughing in this scene. It's just whatever Charisma Carpenter is telling David Boreanaz like actually made him laugh. So they're like, we'll just keep it in. (laughs) And I'm just like, because they have better chemistry. (laughs) Yeah, yep, yep. Um, Anyway. Uh, Her line about how like Devin ditched her and she's like, his loss is your incredible gain is one of my favorite lines from like the entire show and I will use any opportunity to work it into a sentence <laughs> in my real life <laughs> I just love it so much I just I just I love Cordelia she's just so great it's just so perfect and it's like it's funny to think about where I'm like I think if I had watched this show when I was a teenager I would despise Cordelia but like as an adult, I'm like, I'm like, I wish I had like an eighth of her confidence. <laughs> like, just uh, I don't know. She's just so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean, I did watch it as a teen. And I feel like at the very like in the beginning, she's like genuinely really mean. And then she gets like much less mean. And then I think she gets mean again. And it's like, you go on a a little bit of a ride with her, and I'm sure that we will as well as we move through the the seasons. But I think it's, like, hard in episodes like this, even when she's saying, like, she's being kind of mean to Buffy, where she's like, when it comes to dating, I'm the Slayer. Like, it's hard to feel like she's being mean in a bad way. I don't know. I don't really know how to... Yeah, I mean, it's not like she's not saying that maliciously. She's just saying that because she thinks that it's true. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, you, you can't, you, you can't, there's nothing you could have told Cordelia in that moment that would be, that would make her 
think otherwise and it's just yeah like, especially like she's been being stood up by the person that she's trying to date like repeatedly for days and she's still just like whatever i'm i'm great you know that is admirable i know i feel i feel like uh as someone who has very intense uh rejection sensitivity i just feel like again i'm like cordelia how do you do that (laughs) yeah i know (laughs) let me know your secret um (sighs) last last quote that i feel like we have to acknowledge is when she walks up to oz to tell him not to tell Devin anything (laughs) oz is like cordelia geez you're like a great big cat and she's like that's my costume I'm like what did she think did she think Oz like genuinely thought she was a cat like what how did she hear that that she felt like that was the, the needed response I don't know but I love it also Cordelia does have cat, has cat energy like. <laughs> yeah, that's true <sighs> cool who do you want to talk about next let's talk about Buffy cool let's do it Okay, so first I want to just start off with that I super love Buffy really encouraging Willow to get out of her shell in this episode, especially because at the same time, like, Buffy's, like, really sort of grappling with sort of her own emotional vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, no, Willow, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna go out on a limb together. <laughs> You're gonna wear something that doesn't cover your entire body. Yeah. <laughs> and it just... It just feels really nice, like for Buffy and Will to be to be having these sort of moments together before Halloween, where it's like they're both just like very encouraging of each other, just like really just trying to bring Willow out of her comfort zone, which is, I mean, is a kind of exciting part about Halloween, especially, especially as like high schools where you're just like so ultra focused on how other people are viewing you, you know, mm-hmm. in a way that is very acute and just to be like no this is the one time where like those worries like you can you don't have to think you don't you don't have to have those worries right it's just very lovely yeah i agree yeah my only buffy point is actually not a great not a very i don't know i one of the consistent themes on this show is this like bizarre heteronormative jealousy thing where it's like it doesn't make any sense for you to be jealous right now will anyone please ever talk to each other etc so like Buffy shows up she has like one piece of hay in her hair but aside from that she's looking fantastic Angel is clearly excited to see her but she's like, from one second of seeing him laugh at something Cordelia said, she is just like, her entire sense of self is just shut down. And she just leaves. And like, not just leaves, she's like, you know, only normal girls get to go on dates. Like, I can't have anything good. And it's so frustrating. It's so like... I think I'm most frustrated on like a zoomed out level. Like I almost put this in the hell mouth. That's how frustrating I find it. Like the, 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 what it teaches viewers about relationships and communication and like 
connection I think is like really awful you know because why yeah there does not have to be this much I mean guesswork and relationship should be about trying to figure out what kind of gift your partner would like and not about if they're actually romantically interested in you and I think I feel like part of Buffy's and also kind of zoomed out Buffy's sort of ongoing insecurity and just sort of never quite sure where she is with Angel like they're never quite on the same page is a thing that I find deeply frustrating about their relationship overall mm-hmm. and it's like but you could be on the same page <laughs> if like it it's not it's not rocket science like relationships aren't rocket science you just have to talk to one another you know yeah. and I mean part of it is that Angel is just not very forthcoming about really anything and you know keeps a lot of things I think bottle up inside which and there and there are ways of getting around that and of dealing with that but I mean I think in that moment he is like very clear that he wants to be there with her you know Mm -hmm. and she's just not having it and I don't think that's like on her Mm -hmm. but I don't know why we need it you know I mean we need it to like set it up for like oh I'm gonna dress up as this girl from his past for Halloween whatever whatever I'm sure we could have gotten there another way I guess I wish we had gotten there another way that didn't perpetuate this thing where Buffy's just like constantly second guessing his you know not great but also not vague interest in her you know yeah, and I and I think you're right about the working in her costume too, because it is very clear that Buffy has not so hidden Disney princess feels, which mm. is like, I think a lot of femmes in the '90s and in the 2000s, like it's sort of hard to get around that if you watched more than two Disney movies ever as mm-hmm. a child. Yeah, and then we get her as this 18th century princess who is just very much like the damsel in distress. It's so silly. I mean, it's, it, it does, it is very silly, but I feel like, I feel like it sort of uncovers like where Buffy is in her life right now, which is that like, there's a big part of her that is just tired of having to be like the strong one. And the one who is like, not just living her carefree, like high school years. And then, you know, and I, so I think it's kind of nice for her to like have this experience and then to be like, oh, actually that sucks. I mean, this, ex- this is an extreme, you know? And also I think probably a very ahistoric view of like, you know, what I mean, sort she of power. She literally says, I'm just supposed to look nice and then someone will marry me. I'm like, what book did you all read in preparation for writing this? And she's like, like a baron. And I'm like, Okay, yeah, um, we wouldn't weren't totally help. I mean, like, I'm sure there's some people who were and were who or who embrace us being like, cool, I just gotta like look pretty and some dude will take care of me, great. Yeah. Um But yeah, so this whatever whatever weird fairy tale shit Buffy is supposed to be channeling is very bizarre. <laughs> um You wanna talk about Willow a little? I do. She just goes on like a really great confidence arc in this episode um having the opportunity where she like has to be in charge and be the one solving the problems is like really good for her 
love a take charge willow mm-hmm. yeah like a like a take charge and like a confident like getting out of her shell being like i don't need this this sheet i could be in this clubbing outfit um which is funny because then willow just continues to dress like she normally does for the next three seasons mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh or next when her outfits are getting better season five i don't know if they do I guess, yeah, maybe season six. She wears a lot of peasant tops. It's not her fault. It was the 90s. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I I love... Okay, here's... Like, we're about to... I don't know how soon we're going to meet Oz. Pretty soon. I think so. But so we didn't watch Inca Mummy Girl, but that is the first instance of Oz noticing Willow. So the first time he notices her, she's dressed as unfortunately like dressed as an inuit for like the cultural fair it's like oh no not great but she's wearing like literally like the biggest jacket with like a full fur hood and just like her little face sticking out that's the first time oz notices her and is like who is that girl and then the second time it's like you know a sexy confident willow and so i just really like that the setup is oz just really digging willow like all the aspects of Willow, whatever whatever she's got going on, Oz is here for it. And obviously, I love Oz, and also I I love that that's like it would suck if this was the first instance, you know? Yeah. Um. So anyone who's watching with us and is skipping the episodes that we're skipping, I also want to say like this isn't this isn't the first time we're not getting a like a setup where Oz notices Willow when she's sexy and then continues being interested. Hmm. I also actually really like the part where it's like they're having these little separate moments. I know. Uh, oh my god, it's so good. I feel like my other observation about Willow is that it is very obvious from the interaction when Buffy and Willow are like reading the Watcher's Journal in the bathroom and Buffy's like, oh man, I wish I could be like this. And Willow's like, I actually like being able to vote whenever mm. I can do that. Um, is that I suspect that Willow has a kind of mom who didn't let her watch a bunch of Disney movies and was like, no, these aren't, this isn't feminist. Let me show you the real stuff and then give you a whole like, you know, feminist breakdown about why these movies are bad. You're totally right. Cause her mom didn't even let her watch Mr. Rogers. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. I do not remember this. <laughs> There's like a whole thing in the episode where I guess it's the one where they're gonna burn Willow at the stake where she's like mom you wouldn't even let me watch Mr. Rogers and she's like oh god what is the name of the like puppet king uh King Friday yeah like King Friday was like a tyrannical ruler like lording over all the other puppets (laughs) she's like it's really good that's actually very funny I don't I think I've only seen that episode once which is weird because what a good episode that is. It's really good. But yeah, I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with having a early uh, feminist education. <laughs> but I'm also like, it's also just okay to let, you can talk to your kids about the problems with Disney princesses, but still let them fucking watch these Disney movies. It's okay. Yeah, 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 definitely. <sighs> yeah, Willa has a very good episode like this is this is pretty much her episode i would say mm-hmm. yeah in a lot of ways her and cordelia i think sharing the spotlight yeah yeah yeah. two queens mm-hmm. <laughs> uh who do you want to talk about next um the only other person i have left is angel okay all right so 
part of the genesis of Buffy's sort of arc in this episode is being like, I don't know even if I am Angel's type. Uh, and then Angel's like, oh, you know, I really didn't like the like fancy ladies. I really like people who are exciting and interesting. And I'm like, Angel's type is quippy blondes who are sometimes mean to him. Yep. Um, and for folks that don't haven't watched Angel the series, this includes Darla, his sire, who we get more of in that show, who I love. Um, Cordelia, eventually, she does in fact dye her hair blonde. And even though that whole thing is weird because Josh Whedon is a fucking worse, uh, again, the chemistry between David Boreanaz and Chris McCarpenter is like great in all incarnations. And then third, Spike, who also shows up in Angel the series <laughs> and who... I mean, clearly, Angel, Darla, Spike, and Drusilla were just a foursome. Yeah. I mean, duh. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that is Angel's type. I think maybe if he had met Buffy, like, circa season seven, maybe it could have worked out. But right now, it's just, that's not where Buffy is in her life. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I had a very similar note. So, agreed. Welcome to April Fool, where we talk about fashion. Angel's wearing a lot of light colors in this episode, and I do not approve at all. I don't like it. Why is he wearing just so many, like, slowly unbuttoned white button-up shirts? He does not, he can't button any higher than than (laughs) where his ribs connect to each other. Like mid-sternum or something, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's like wearing light blue for this date with Buffy and then he's wearing white at the end. And I'm like, is he trying to like prove something to her about his like non-vampiricness? Cause like Angel, she fell for dark broody Angel. Like put your, put your black back on my dude. This is, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. The only time Angel looks good in white is when he's wearing a white tank top because- Have you seen young David Boreanaz? <laughs> yeah. Not wearing a shirt. Um, I, I'm, I'm not even immune to that. I don't really, he's not really my type, but I'm like, I'm in a tank top. Yep. Which we'll get a lot of in season three, whenever we get there. <laughs> yeah, sure will. Um, and in season one, actually. Whenever we get there. Yeah. 10 like, years from now. <laughs> yeah, 11, 11 years. I don't remember how long it's going to take us, but it's going to be a while before we get to season one. <laughs> I feel like my first thing is um, in one of the opening scenes where we have Buffy, she's wearing, I can't know if they're like black or blue, uh, but like dark colors with like some yellow striped plaid pants, which I'm like, was having a hard time figuring out if I liked or not. I think they're, it's not terrible. I wrote Buffy is hot topic hot. She looks, I love it. I love it. But she does look like she just stepped out of a hot topic dressing room. <laughs> Yes, 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 she does. I mean, it's, it's definitely a vibe that works for her. You know I love it when Buffy wears black. It's my favorite. It, it, it's a color that, like, she looks great in, and there are a lot of colors she does not look great in, and I wish the show would recognize that before <laughs> season five. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Willow's backpack with the rainbow straps and the rainbow on the backpack is so good just yeah great. it's great yeah yeah definitely one of those things will is gonna look back on and be like wow i probably should have known that i was queer <laughs> yeah. um i want to talk about 
Cordelia's like, I, I want to say shockingly modest cat suit, like cat suit, but also literally it's a cat. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, because I think that like, and maybe it's just because of stuff like say, the movie Mean Girls, where a bunch of the girls are dressed in like what essentially Playboy bunny outfits with like different ear attachments. But I'm kind of like, what Cordelia's wearing is like sexy, but it's not like. It's like I, it's like you would kind of would think that she would have something that would be equally or more sexy than what Willow is wearing, but it's just sort of like I don't know. Here's my proposal: is that Cordelia remembered that this costume was for her to take eight to ten year olds trick or treating in, whereas somehow Buffy has convinced Willow that they're going to like a Halloween party that starts at ten p.m. where there will be drinking. You know, that is so true. I actually was thinking when I was watching it, I'm like, this is, yes. Willow would have been suspended if she showed up <laughs> in that outfit to take children trick-or-treating. Like, I mean, that's why she's, I mean, it's, I mean, she's wearing that sheet. No, literally no one knows what she's wearing underneath. <laughs> yeah, no, great call. Like, what the fuck? That is a party outfit. That is not a, not a, like child care outfit i mean there's nothing wrong with it but it's like what why would you wear that for that uh activity like it doesn't make any sense yeah and it doesn't even seem like they had plans to go like i don't know drink shitty vodka in someone's basement where everyone else is also wearing revealing like halloween costumes right i mean cordelia might have something like you know a uh like matching leotard under the full body leotard that she would shed when they went to the party but yeah, she's like, no, I'm about to hang out with like little kids. <laughs> you know what? Yes, you were, I don't even know why I didn't think about that when I saw her outfit, but yep. Because <laughs> the show forgot <laughs> what activity <laughs> they were sending them all to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think my only other thing here, weirdly, is just um, two things about Xander's costume. One is that it, that gun came with a tattoo. <laughs> Did you notice that? <laughs> I don't know. I like that, but I also like the idea that Xander was getting his costume on and like put on a temporary tattoo. Both of those are great. Ooh, yeah. which one's better? I think the temporary tattoo. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I I, I feel like I appreciate Xander's commitment to the Halloween look. Mm-hmm. Um, and he I mean he went for realism he went to the army surplus store I'm like there's some shit that I would have done or slash I would do for Halloween costumes is being mm-hmm. like get it thrifted get it cheap get some accessories call it good yeah um I have one more thing also I just want to point out that this is maybe the first instance where we get Buffy's crimped hair of spell wonkiness because once she's not in the wig and it's like a different wig <laughs> that's slightly better it's like she has like the wavy hair and i'm like Mm -hmm. is this where it started (laughs) (laughs) i (laughs) know that her hair because it's it's up right before she gets changed and then it's down the next time we see her and i wrote that her hair is down to indicate that she is distressed (laughs) 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 there's no other reason (laughs) Mm -hmm. Welcome to the Magic Box, where we rant about stuff. Spike and Drusella. 
You know what? I if you were like Lark, do you like it when someone calls their significant other poodle? I'd be like, no. And then you were like, here, watch this scene. I'd be like, well, I was wrong. Actually, I fucking love that. It's so adorable. <laughs> it's, it's so good. Yeah. Um. Oh, I just love like right. We get like three minutes of them together, and every second is just a joy. Yep. I just. Just knowing that, like, I don't, don't, like, want to talk about this. Hang on. I just really love their love. That's how I want to talk about it. And I love that when Drusilla asks, do you love my insides? Spike doesn't even hesitate. Like, he's just like, fucking course I do. I love all the parts of you. But, like in this very vampire way where he's like eyeballs to entrails and you're like that should be gross but somehow it's fantastic I, they're just like they're great and they're really in love and it makes me really happy I know who doesn't love goths in love truly <laughs> I feel what I also love about the him calling uh, Drew poodle is that it feels sort of like weirdly vintage oh, like yeah. I don't know like he's been calling her that for like 30 or 40 years just like randomly and just hasn't stopped i don't know so ugh, love it um my first thing is that nothing nothing is more funny to me than the idea in this in the universe of this show that vampires and demons stay in for halloween <laughs> I know it's so good. Yeah, and we get you know we get that, and uh, for people who want to rewatch the Halloween episode of season four, which is also very good. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about it today, and I'm like, what must that be like if you're like a vampire and you're like, you know what, Halloween is just too crass for me to go out and do anything. And so then I was thinking about how I feel about holidays that like drinking holidays that I call amateur hour. So stuff like St. Patrick's Day or Cinco de Mayo, where all of a sudden, if I tried to go someplace in my neighborhood, I live in in a city and there is just like drunk people and people who maybe don't normally drink a lot and thus don't know how to conduct themselves in a way that isn't completely obnoxious Mm -hmm. are just wasted everywhere. And I'm just like, maybe this is how vampires feel about Halloween, where it's just like, ugh, amateur hour, people trying to be scary and spooky and shit. Fuck that. I'm just gonna stay home. Yeah, I think that makes I think that makes total sense. Yeah. So, which again is just so funny. <sighs> um Buffy's accent. <laughs> <laughs> what what is it like what what was the direction what was she aiming for i i have nothing but endlessly good things to say about sarah michelle geller's acting chops but this british accent is is that what it is i think that's what it's trying to be but it kind of just feels like you watched a couple of like pbs miniseries in collaboration with the BBC, like Pride and Prejudice, and you're trying to do that accent, but have like n- literally never spoken it aloud before the camera started rolling. 
Yeah. I think the only thing that that is worse than this is when we see David Boreanaz's Irish accent. Which... Oh, it's <laughs> so bad. His Irish accent is so bad. And then it's just like, it's just so wild because James Marshall isn't English. He's doing an excellent British accent. But anyway, so it's like, clearly there's, is is there an acting coach? Is there like an accent person on on set? Or is it just kind of like, do whatever you can, do your best? I mean, sometimes there is, because I think as, as all like deeply entrenched Buffy fans know, Kendra's terrible accent was actually the result of like very intensive accent training from someone who just made a bizarre choice. <laughs> so funny it's so funny you know that right you've heard that story i i realize i have heard that story and i'm like oh man i can't wait for us to talk about kendra's terrible ex <laughs> um yeah i don't know i don't know what they told i don't know what they told sarah michelle Gellar to do and i don't know what she is doing it's like she's trying to sound somehow both like english and like she's from new england at the same time yeah it's for it's very it's very bewildering <laughs> Yeah, what do you have next? So I have one last thing, which is Angel is so fucking useless in this episode. (laughs) Wait, say more. (laughs) Okay, so when shit gets real, it's Halloween night. Angel doesn't show up until like 45 minutes after all this shit is happening. He comes to Buffy's house. He's like, what's going on? Corey has to fill him in. Okay. Then he ends up fighting a vampire in... Buffy's kitchen. Buffy freaks out and runs away. She's running for a while. And I'm like, you couldn't have just twisted that dude's head off your fucking vampire yourself and ran after Buffy and caught her. And then once they get to like, the gang meets back up. Xander is the one fighting off Larry. I mean, obviously you don't want Angel to like murder this dude, but it's like, you could have stepped in. Um, You're doing, it looks like not enough to like, you know, fight Spike and his minions. And then when everything goes back, you just let Spike get away. Like, dude, what what are you doing? You're doing jack shit. Buffy is out of commission for most of this episode and you can't step up. Yeah. It is <laughs> deeply frustrating to me. And I'm, I'm glad that like Xander got his moment to like feel useful and mask and whatever, you know, he's just a badass normal person. He can like keep up, whatever. That's great. Good for him. But like, Angel is a vampire. He has no excuse. He's not affected by the spell. And I'm like, why are you so fucking useless? Yeah, great question. Do you think... I have some questions. I had this in, in the library, but like about this vampire that's come into the house because it they shouldn't have been able to come in without being invited if they were a real vampire. And then also the way that they're dressed seems like a vampire costume. But then Angel's going to stake them I'm like, oh, that's not good. That's like some guy, right? Yeah. And then, so my question is maybe like, did he realize like, oh, fuck, I actually probably can't safely stake this person. Now I have to just like somehow get them out of the house. And so he was like occupied doing damage control without like murdering someone. I mean, I think that has to be an explanation of how this vampire got in in the first place is that somehow this like, since he's, this person isn't a real vampire, but they are in that moment. So it seems like they should be constrained by real vampire rules, right? I don't know. It is 
I'm not sure if this is a correction or not, because I'm just like, right, how did this vampire get in? Yeah. It just should have been like literally any other kind of demon would have made so much more sense and not left us with this question. (laughs) I know. Like, Angel could have vamped out of any kind of weird demon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the part where he's trying to like get out from the two dudes that are like holding his arms and he's like, "Eh, eh." you're like, um, sir, what? (laughs) What? They're about to eat your girlfriend. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. It, he doesn't even put his vamp face on. He's just like... I, I just, I like don't know what's going on with him in this episode. So. No. N- not not boyfriend material, Angel. Correct. Speaking of boyfriend material, however, Giles's ex, Ethan, has so little chill that he has <laughs> named his store Ethan's in the town where Giles lives. Like, if Giles was paying any attention and was like, ooh, a Halloween shop called Ethan's, every alarm bell in his head would have gone off and Ethan's plan wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Like, calm the fuck down, sir. Do not name your store Ethan's. I mean, it's not I even think a good name for a party store. It is not. Though there used to be a, like, dance and costume store in one of the suburbs that was just, like, someone's name. It was, like, Lynch's or something. Interesting. I think that was on purpose to get Giles' attention at some point. Mm. <laughs> okay. He's like, Daddy, come hit me. Because, I mean, obviously, <laughs> Ethan could have done this anywhere. He could have even done this on the other Hellmouths. He chose Sunnydale, which apparently he knows that Giles is in because he's not surprised when Giles rolls up. Yeah. Um, so I think this is upset. No, he's not. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So I yeah, I think this on purpose. I think he was just waiting for Giles to like get a clue. Into it. You know what? That takes us really nicely into our next segment. Welcome to Spike's Crypt, where we talk about sexy stuff. As my baby, beloved Andrew, likes to say, sexual tension you could cut with a knife. (laughs) Holy shit, the moment where Giles walks in and Ethan's like, ripper. Oh my god. I know, it's so good. It's so good. It's just... Again, Giles is also a person who has excellent chemistry with a lot of people, but like the chemistry between Ethan and Giles is always just like so good. Yeah. And it's just like, right. It's like Ethan just knows what bush, which, like, which key smash buttons to hit to get Giles to beat him up. Yeah, no, I actually, I like literally have in my notes that Giles punching people is my kink and it's also (laughs) Ethan's kink. So it's like, we're both really on the same page. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Uh, Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. I feel like you can hear the air quotes around mate when Ethan's like not happy to see your old mate. You're like, Mm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, sir. Yeah. Yeah, I also noted as you, I think you said something similar in the, in your uh, description that like Ethan leaves Giles a valentine when he leaves town. Like, honestly, the only thing missing from that see you soon note is like a lipstick imprint from Ethan. Exactly. Yes. Ugh. 
<laughs> I wish it had that actually. <laughs> I know. I know. It's also just so perfect, like knowing that the next time that they see each other, see each other is going to be band candy when he has literally taken a job that allows him to get his ripper back, you know? Yeah. Wait, when do we get the episode where we find out about the like demon sex magic shit? Is that? Oh, actually, that's soon. Is Ethan actually in that one? Is he in that one? That's a good question. Yes, he is. You're right. Okay. So we get one in between. I also love that episode because I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, Giles, you were into like in your 20s, like orgies with like demon sex magic. Yeah, I that episode, there's so much about that episode that I like and so much that I don't like, namely gross, decaying things. I don't oh, like yeah. looking oh, the at body, things like that. The body horror in the episode is pretty, I think, pretty high. I yeah. think um, for, for this show, I think probably one of the more, for me, grossest things that we see happening to people because yeah it's really gross yeah okay anyway that doesn't belong in spike's crypt no do you have anything else here um i love buffy distracting giles with awkward matchmaking and i'm also like no miss calendar does in fact think you're a babe though so yeah yeah. Not, it's not I don't think it's really a lie Buffy is telling <laughs> no she would never say it to a student because she no. has good boundaries but like it is true mm-hmm. yeah uh yeah okay I actually don't want to leave this this segment before saying please everyone take note of the fact that what is not here is Buffy and Angel making out at the end of this episode zero mentions zero stars anyway Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Welcome to the library, where we talk about magic, science, and magical science. Big magical science up here. Uh, All right, so the first thing I want to say is related to Angel the Series, which not everyone is going to watch or wants to watch, but I... The dress that Buffy is looking at in that photo um, ends up being, I think that the the the, that the folks on Angel the Series end up using, because in that show we, we get a scene of right when Darla sires Angel, and she's wearing a dress that looks very similar to this sketch, and it's just like all like gold silk and like white lace and bullshit. It's very beautiful. Um, the actress who plays Darla is very beautiful. It's very cool. I appreciate there's so there's a, some nice little continuity about oh who is this lady? It's Darla mm-hmm. who sires him, um, and I think also continuity wise, I think she doesn't sire him until he's in his twenties and not when he is eighteen. Right. So, whatever. So yeah, um, I think it may be in the episode called Darla and Angel. If you like, don't care about anything else but want to know more about the foursome of vampires which is one of my favorite things about the show so anyway cool so everyone remembers what happened while they were turned which presumably means there are dozens to hundreds of small children who now are intimately acquainted a with the fact that monsters are real b with the fact like knowledge of the interiority of being a demon 
and C, who have presumably killed some people and remember it and are like this Ethan just created a level of like fucked up childhood trauma that like no one will ever be able to talk to a therapist about until these like kids themselves start becoming therapists in Sunny Tale. <laughs> you know, like, this is wild. Yeah, Sunnydale is a shitty place to grow up. Um, folks, I, from, I grew up in Detroit. People think it's a shitty place to grow up. It was a fine place to grow up. Sunnydale, California is a shitty-ass place to grow up. Yeah. Um, it's honestly shocking that Willow and Xander and Cordelia are as together as they are living in this deeply fucked up place. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like Ethan is very much fuck them kids. Because, like, in season three, he's like... Turn all the adults into teenagers so I can feed some babies to a demon. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> yeah, the moral compass on that guy not not great. It, it, I don't think it doesn't exist. It, there is no there is no compass. <laughs> no, no, you're right. Oh wow, yeah, what a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and also still one of my favorite. Characters. Oh, I mean. For sure. <sighs> I know. My my kingdom for just like what was Ethan and Giles like in their twenties? Why isn't that a comic? Why can't I read that? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, what do you have next? All right. So I want to talk a little bit about Ethan's altar, in which he has a giant he's a statue of Janus, which is a Roman god, uh, who is the god of beginnings movements change transitions and doorways so it makes sense that this would be the statue that he is using from from what i read from skimming the wikipedia page the like chaotic part is probably just all ethan because i mean change can be chaotic but like not in the way that he is forcing everyone to become their costumes yeah it's weird that they refer to this as worshiping chaos because I just think that there are better gods that they could have chosen for that particular thing. They were just like, yeah. ooh, this one's got two faces. That's spooky. Yeah, and I mean, the the two heads of Janus is very much, I mean, both Giles and Drew kind of like mentioned the sort of, du- like the duality, the sim- the symbolism of the like the two heads be- meaning duality and like us sort of getting a like inverse of everyone's sort of personality. Even Giles, we get... We get the hint of Ripper, which is sort of his own, and you know, the bumbling librarian is just the facade, and the Ripper part is the thing that he keeps very well hidden, but comes out a little bit. I think that they're both they're both him. I think that they're both true. Well, yeah, I mean, they are both true. Just like, I mean, it's not as if they're both not him. Uh, it's just I think for up until this point, we only see the librarian Giles because that's what he is choosing to express more. Yeah you know yeah but it's not a facade it's just yeah well i think pretending that he's only ever been that is the facade yeah 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 no that's definitely true um Um, sorry i just like started thinking about the part where he like drops librarian giles and like knees ethan in the face and i got like really distracted oh the fight is so uh, like the look on his face because he's like it's not an act it's who i am and then like two seconds later he just like so casually (laughs) just like fucking destroys ethan 
with the, that oh my god just like the cruelty on his face makes me so horny i don't care how fucked up that is no like, no I, just... I mean i mean same and this is why it's always a joy when giles lets the the lit the leash slip on ripper a little bit because it's i don't know it's, it's just a delight in a way that is great it's yep. you know anyway yeah um also hilariously i thought this was very funny um so speaking of janice there was a an organization called the janice society in the early 60s it was a very like early gay organization that rallied that rallied for gay rights mostly around respectability politics for cis gay men cis white gay men so i mean but they had a role in organizing some of the like first gay rights rallies like starting in the 60s uh, that's that's so that's the Janus Society. The Society of Janus was the second BDM organization founded in the United States in 1974. Interesting. <laughs> and I'm just like, so you know, uh, queer people seem to like Janus. I think is what I'm trying <laughs> to say. Is what I'm ending this with. Yep, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, that all that all checks out. Um. My last thing here is that I think we have to assume that Willow now knows what happens when you die and no one ever asks her. No one's ever like, hey, what what was that like? Like, what did you experience? And I think that's a bit of a bummer. I mean, she just become a ghost pretty instantly. Yeah. I guess that's true. Oh, wow. I feel like there's also, because, I mean, a ghost is a pretty popular kid's Halloween costume. There's also a bunch of kids out there who were ghosts who yep. also now know this. Yep. Honestly, the the fact that there's, like, only ever, like, seems like two juvenile delinquents and Buffy at one time in this school is honestly also shocking, considering <laughs> the amount of trauma all these fucking kids probably have. Truly. All right, cool. We did it. We did it. Excellent. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of The Gaily Planet. We will be back in two weeks, as promised, with our science fiction double feature about Chuck Tingle's Camp Damascus. Until then, please grab your tickets to our Rocky Horror live show and check out our other podcasts, including We Are the Gayers, which again, you can listen to on a public feed or subscribe to our Patreon to get three years worth of content all at once. The links for everything, as always, are in the show notes. And until next time. It's the hell mouth, bitch. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs>